Welcome to the Cross Church. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or contribute online at thecross.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, faith family and friends, this is Pastor Chris, and we're in the second week of a message series entitled, I Love My Church. And I will just tell you, I do. I love this church. And as we talked about last week, you may remember the word church is actually the Greek word ekklesia, which means the called out ones. So people who have a personal relationship with Jesus, people who've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, people who've been called into a relationship with him are now a part of the ecclesia or the called out ones. And in this message series, I Love My Church, I think it's so important we just be reminded that the church is a people, it's not a place. You know, I grew up thinking that the church was a was a place. It's kind of like, you know, I went to karate or I went to piano lessons or I went to different, I went to school, I went to whatever, but I left my world and I went to church. No, the church is a people. And so I hope and pray that first and foremost, you're a part of that people. So if you're outside our area, I hope and pray that if, if this is a great supplement for you, uh, that you will be blessed by it. But I would so encourage you uh, to be a part of a local body of faith. You may be one of our members. Maybe you're traveling this weekend. And I would just want you to know this. There's no substitute uh, for being present with the body of Christ because it's in the presence of the body of Christ that we get to see what the the, the actual physical body of Jesus looks like in our day and our time. Because, hey, if His Word's going to be preached, it's going to come through your voice. If it's going to be uh, people's uh, needs are going to be met, it's going to come through your hands And so it's so important that we understand, we truly understand that we are the body, we are the church. And so when I say I love my church, it's this, I love the people that I get to associate with uh, who also call upon his name. But it's also, uh, there's some markings of a real church. We talked about this last week in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And we determined in there that we have some, some marks that really distinguish what a real church is because the word church, if you're not careful, especially in today's culture, it can be taken and exploited for something that just truly isn't. The church has five, um, without question, genuine markings. One is this, it's gospel-centric. And so we just believe that the story of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is what gives us hope in all things. Um, That we would gather for worship. So the church would regularly gather we would exalt God through uh, the praises of who He is, and we would also study His Scripture together corporately. It's growing in a group. Uh, Jesus had a group. Within, he had 12. Within that 12, He had three. Then that three, He had one. So important that you and I have community and relationships. We were built for that. Um, sec- the, the next, that we would do this, we would give to what matters, right? Uh, and then lastly, we would go and we would change the world. And that those are the markings of the church, that there's a gospel that we gather for worship, that we grow in a group, we give to what matters, and we go change the world. And today, what I want to do is I want to unpack a message entitled Ridiculous Giving. Because I have one point to drive home with you this weekend, and it's simply this. If you're not living unless you're giving, you're not living unless you're giving. In fact, say it with me. You're not living unless you're giving. You say you're not living unless you're giving. I want you to hear the words from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, where Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem for what's called the triumphal entry. 
Jesus is about to go to the cross. And here's what it says. It says, And now they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of the beast of burden. Verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and they sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You know, when I, when I look at this text, I, I've read this text many, many times. And yet this just hit me in a way like never before that in this text, there is a demonstration of ridiculous giving. I mean, when you think about the word ridiculous, what do you think about crazy, you know, um, out of the normal, out of the ordinary? I mean, this is a display in ridiculous giving. You go, what do you mean by that? Because you see, you're not living unless you're giving. Say it with me. You're not living unless you're giving. I want you to see four things that perhaps you've never seen in this text as we think about giving to what matters. Because it really is true. People that have the, the most fulfilled lives, people that find themselves in a place of contentment, people who find themselves in a life of purpose, I promise you they are people that give. They are people that are generous. And you have to ask yourself this question, even before we start, on a scale of one to 10, can't use five. How generous are you? Like when someone asks you for something, how quickly will you turn over that resource, give that money, spend that time? What is it? Because here's what I'm, I'm finding out to be true. We live in a world, especially right now, we see the economy going kind of bad. We, man, we, we're seeing, you know, we, we all know our taxes are probably going up because you do know you cannot forgive college debt and then all of a sudden expect, you know, that's just free money. No, it's somebody's going to pay for it. And I got a feeling it's probably going to be you and me in a political statement. It's just a real life fact. And so in that kind of culture, it gets easy for us to want to kind of clutch and hold on, become hoarders. And yet here's the thing. If you're not, you're not living unless you're giving. And that's just the truth of the heart of God. For God so loved the world that what did he do? He so loved that he gave, right? Because you can't, you can't love and not give. And so what does it mean to give ridiculously? I want you to notice this first thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. Ridiculous giving means God asks us for something. Now, just think about this story, okay? It says right here, and he's, he's giving directions to his disciples. They're about to head, get into Jerusalem. He sends these guys ahead of this little village called Bethpage. And when they get there, he, he says, I need you to get me a donkey and a colt. In fact, he says, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a, don a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And listen to this. And he will send them at once. Here is what is absolutely fascinating to me when you think about this. The, the fact that God even 
gives us the opportunity to be a part of what he's doing, that God asks us for anything. I mean, it's ridiculous that God would ask you and me for a thing. Because think about this. What does God need? God needs nothing. Nothing at all. In fact, Psalms 24, 1 through 3 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. I mean, you understand, God has made it all. And yet, here's what's fascinating. In spite of him making it all, I mean, think he makes man, right? He makes a donkey. And so when you talk about the donkey and the colt, so basically we got a, a, a full-grown donkey and then the colt, little donkey. So we got big donkey, little donkey. And so it's, it's a crazy request. Jesus asked for the big donkey and the little donkey, both of which he created. In fact, the Bible even says this. I mean, you know, God's not broke. Psalm 5010 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, declares the Lord, the cattle on a thousand hills. So, I mean, Jesus owns it all. It's all Jesus's. But check this out. Jesus, God, asked created man to borrow his created donkey and little donkey for what? A divine purpose. It is absolutely crazy to think that God would do that. And yet, think about this. If it's all his, and it's all his, in fact, everybody just say, it's all his. It's all his. That, that if it's all his, then whenever God asks me to do something, when he asks me for something, my natural response should simply be yes. Because when you think about your life, when you think about all that you own, all that you have, you know, think of it in terms of this, think of it in terms of your time. And I don't know about you, but I mean, time is, is a very valuable commodity. In fact, the older you are, the more precious you realize that time really is. And time is one of those things that you can't make more of. You can make more money, right? You can make more excuses, right? You, you can make more decisions, but you cannot make more time. Time is precious. And yet, when you think about your life, who does all your time really belong to? It all belongs to him. Why? Because when he looks at creation, he says, mine. In fact, notice what it says in Psalms 39.5. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, Selah. You do realize that even the breath in your lungs, my lungs, is on loan from God. So if God were to tell me to take my time and head this direction or to take my attention and go that way, then you know what? He has dominion over my time because it's all his. In fact, just say it's all his. It's all his. And that's why it's ridiculous that God would even ask us for something that's already his. It's all his. You know, you can, yeah, we, some people think, well, you know, I'm going I'm to get more time. I'm going I'm to beat the system. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to lose weight. You know, I'm going to go to Pilates class. You know, I'm going to go find me an old Pete Nanny X. I'm going to do all those things. And guess what? You can do all that and you're still going to die. You realize that? Because your time is borrowed it's all his. When you start looking at your life like that, you start thinking about, hmm, this ridiculous request. God's asking me to do these things. Maybe it's to go um, uh, be a part of some ministry somewhere. It's to go on a mission trip somewhere. And, and you feel like God's called you to do that. And you say, I just don't have the time. Yeah, you do, because it's all his. Here's another one. Your talents are his. Every gift that you've been given is on loan from him. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? 
If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What he's basically saying in that text is this, is that every ability that you have been given, God has placed into you. So if you have great intelligence, I'm going to tell you something. He put that there. If you have great athletic ability, I want you to understand something. He put that there. If he gave you the ability to relate with all different kinds of people, understand something. It's all his. So your time is his. Everybody say it's all his. It's all his. Your talent, everybody say it's all his. It's all his. And then notice this, your treasure. Your treasure. Um, it says in the book of Deuteronomy 8.18, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You know, if you have a bank account, I'd imagine that you might know how much money roughly is in that bank account. In fact, some of you may know down to the penny. Like you may be one of those people that every throughout the day, you're always checking your balances. You're kind of making sure what is what. I mean, I, I know somebody who, who I, I, I think is a great person. And uh, actually about two or three of these. They can tell me what their net worth is in any given week. They can tell me what, they're, what, where the, what they have, where it's at, how it's stacked. And I would be the first to tell you this. No matter what you think you have in the bank, you understand something. It's all his. Every single dollar, every dime, every decimal, every account, it's all his. Why? Because if you have the ability to, have, uh, to create wealth, that means you have a job, you have some sort of income stream, God gave you that. So if God ever asks you for, hey, I want you to give money to this, or hey, I want you to be a part of this, here's what I'll tell you. The answer is always yes. Why? Because it's all his. You see, you're not living unless you're giving. So you're not living unless you're giving. So ridiculous giving, look at this, means we're a part of a bigger story. In fact, you got to think about the donkey guy. The guy had the big donkey, the little donkey, probably had no idea what was going on. I mean, th this guy, I mean, he, he, unbeknownst to him, he's just living in Beth Page. He's just doing his deal. I mean, and here God, here Jesus asked that he, you know, give up his donkeys to be used. And, and it says the master has need. And by the way, the master has need of what you have, right? He gives you the opportunity. It's crazy to ask you, but here's what it does. It puts you in a bigger story because right here, it says in verse 4, And this took place to fulfill what the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, a foal of the beast of burden. You see, that comes from Zechariah 9.9. 500 years before this event took place, um, it, it, it spoke that this was how Christ was going to make his way into that city. In fact, Mark 11 um, actually says this about that, the, that those animals, that they've never been ridden. And, and you got to realize that there was something about, not only was it a, a donkey, but it was a donkey in a, in a colt that, that had never been ridden. And it, so it meant this, it was for a noble purpose. And in fact, you see all throughout the Old Testament, you see like the red heifer. There was a particular kind of cattle that was sacrificed for the purpose of cleansing. You got to remember the Ark of the Covenant had to be um, carried and transported on a cart that was, that was dedicated functionally just for that use, for no other uh, use and so sometimes animals and sometimes objects and people they were they were set aside as holy and don't you realize that whenever God calls you to give of your time your talent 
or your treasure, it puts you in a bigger story. Why? Because it automatically makes sacred that which we sometimes think is normal. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, Now in a great house there are only not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some are for honorable use and some for dishonorable. But if anyone cleanses himself up from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel of, of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master in the house, ready for every good work. I want you to understand something. You know, you're going to spend your time doing this or doing that. You're going to spend your talents, you know, perhaps, and however, whatever endeavor you may be, you're going to spend some money in, in some various and sundry ways, paying your mortgage, paying your car, maybe, man, paying for your kids. If your kids are like mine, they're like an ATM that never, they think I'm an ATM that just never goes broke. But there's going to be these moments whenever God's going to ask you to invest. And when he does, with your time, your talent, your treasure, I want you to understand something. It puts you into the story of God. It puts your life into something with bigger context and meaning. You know, my son, he's about to graduate here in just a few weeks. We pray. Oh, Lord, please let him. Uh, we're going to let him. He's going to graduate from Oklahoma State University. We're talking about his future. We're talking about what he wants to do when he, quote, unquote, grows up. And I said, son, what do you want to do? And he said, you know, Dad, he goes, and he used this word. 22-year-old young man used this word. He said, you know, Dad, I think we all want to be a part of something that's transcendent. And I was just like, wow, that, you know what? That, that education we've paid for has paid off because the word transcendent, right? It means to be eternal or otherworldly, bigger than myself. And I, I was reminded about this whenever I went with my parents. I was a little kid. I think I was probably about eight years old. And we made our way to Graceland uh, there in Memphis, Tennessee, home of Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. And uh, here, here, you know, it was just a few years before he had actually died uh, on his throne. And uh, but I remember uh, I, I saw something I'd never seen before. People were going to the wall of Graceland, and they were literally, and my mom included, by the way. And they were writing. And back then, we didn't have like paint pens. They were literally taking things like fingernail polish and white out, and they were putting their names on that wall. And it immediately hit me that people want their lives attached to something that is big. There were people who were trying to attach their names to the wall at Graceland for the quote-unquote king of rock and roll who was at that point dead and departed. But really, it just speaks to the bigger, the bigger narrative of our hearts that we want our lives to be connected to a bigger story. And whenever you are generous, whenever you practice radical generosity, I want you to understand something. Big things happen because you get to be a part of the story. See, you're not living unless you're giving. Say it with me. You're not living unless you're giving. And ridiculous giving, crazy giving means he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Look what it says in verse 6. It says, The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread out their cloaks along the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So you can just imagine this scene. Jesus coming to Jerusalem. You know, it, it's the week of Passover. And as he's coming in, people have heard about this itinerant preacher. And so he makes his way into that city, and he has these two unridden animals that now they've placed cloaks over. And how you ride on two different animals, I don't know. I just know that's what it says. And so he maybe he water skied looking on that bed. I don't know, right? But uh, he he's coming into that city. People are draping their clothing down there across that road. 
They're taking these palm branches and they begin to, to wave those and they shout. They say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna means this, come save us. Come and save us. These people so wanted a savior. And what they didn't realize was that in just in a few days, Jesus was going to be that Passover lamb. He was going to be that one who went to the cross and he became sin so that we wouldn't have to experience the penalty of our sin and death and separation from God eternally. And so they make, he makes his way in and they're saying, Hosanna, save us. And I love what it says in verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, so he was on the outside. Now he's coming in. It says the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I love that phrase. The whole city was stirred up. And why was the whole city stirred up? Because some guy who is a nameless guy, a guy we have no idea who he was. We don't know what he did. We just know he lived in Bethpage. He had these two animals, and they were available. And whenever they said, hey, uh, we need to borrow these, and he said, okay, okay, and they said, the master has use of it, he willingly gave them to the master. And because he was willing to do this small thing, incredible things happened in the city. The city was stirred up. And you look in the pages of Scripture, and you see this everywhere. A little boy one day just had a little lunch and he fed 5,000 people. One day, a lady had one bottle of perfume and she broke it over Jesus and she prepared him for his death. There was a man named Joseph of Arimathea and, and, and Jesus was going to need to borrow a tomb for about three days. And it was Joseph of Arimathea who gave up his tomb. All throughout the pages of Scripture, we see these people, many of whom are nameless and they're faceless, but guess what? They gave to God. And this man right here who gave up the two donkeys, the big donkey and the little donkey, because of this small act of obedience, extraordinary things happen. I'm just telling you, when you say yes to God, when you join Him in generosity, don't you understand, like as you give to this church, I want you to understand something. You bring hope to the world. Because we have missionaries we support all over the world. And so it's people like my friend Tim uh, down in Haiti, and he's got these little children that have been sold as, as child sex slaves that then they try to they take them out of those homes and they take care of them. I want you to know something. As you invest here, you are a part of that. I want you to understand there'll be people in heaven that will greet you because you were a part of that. I want you to understand, as, as we take care of people, it's like my friend I met in the hallway today, and we're able to have a building that has showers. And I, I met this homeless gentleman even today in our halls, had a chance to talk with him and just visit with him, pray with him. And we were able to give him just the dignity of a bath. Like those are the kinds of things. I mean, when you invest like that, when you invest your time, and you just think, man, I don't know how my time, I'm, I'm just going to work with some little kids. And I want you to understand something. And it changes their understanding of who Jesus is. Friends, listen to me. This is so huge. This is why you're not living unless you're giving. And it's ridiculous that we get to be a part of this and how God uses just ordinary people like us to do these extraordinary things. So you're not living unless you're giving. And ridiculous giving means this. You always get back what you give. Now notice, 
at the end of this story, the guy's going to get his donkeys back. Now, it's not in the text. But think about it. Here's the donkey guy, right? Probably, you know, he's at Beth Page, and he's like, hey, the master needs donkeys. Like, okay, you can use donkeys. He's following behind. He's just kind of waiting. And when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, guess what? He gets off of those donkeys, and the guy's going to take his donkeys. He's going to go back to Beth Page, and he's going to do his deal and live his life. And yet, out of that ridiculous generosity, all these things happen. Now, I want to be real careful here because there's some late-night preachers that will tell you, hey, uh, you know what, you sow a seed and send us some money, or hey, send me $50 and I'll send you a prayer shawl or whatever. No, 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 no. I want you to understand, you always get back what you give. It may look different. It, it truly may look different. Um, it, it may be that sometimes God just allows the utility of your, the things you have to last longer. Sometimes when you're obedient and you give, it may be that, you know what, it, your relationships get better. I, I don't know. I, I just know this, that whenever we give, we always get it back in some way, shape, or form. Luke 6, 39, uh, 37 through 39 says this, Judge not, and you'll not be judged, condemn not, and you'll not be condemned, forgive, and you'll be forgiven. And listen to this, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. It's almost the image of the wine press of olive oil. That If you give, you're going to experience this abundance. It's going to just literally go all over you. It's going to permeate you. A number of weeks ago, I was in New York City with one of our mission teams, and I had the opportunity to spend some time with my friend John Sight. And I so love John. I so love his heart. And as we were just talking and whatnot, you know, this is why I love going on missions with people because in missions, we really get to know one another, right? Fellowship happens um, as we do mission together, as we do life together. And he had this incredible story of just this ridiculous generosity that I want you to hear. I actually did not grow up in a church family. I really didn't come to really get to know God until 21 years ago when my son was born. When we ended up relocating back from Charlotte, we wanted to find a church home because we had a great one. We visited other churches around the area, but when we walked through the doors at Cross Church, the message, the welcome, you know, just we felt like we were at home. Growing up in a non-Christian home, we would go to the Lutheran church, you know, during the holidays, Christmas, Easter, or whatever, and mom and dad would give me and my brother a dollar to stick in the offering plate. Even after Nikki and I got married, and, and with her, you know, coming from a Southern Baptist preacher's, you know, family, and, and you know, listening to you know, the tithing messages from there. It really didn't hit home. I thought that, that you know, if my wife was serving uh, in the youth or if I was helping out, then my talents was what, what we were tithing at that point in time. I volunteered that we would give X amount of dollars and, and we did periodically uh, do that. It just really wasn't a full commitment. You know, Nikki and I uh, honestly lived paycheck to paycheck and because we were living paycheck to paycheck and because we 
didn't have a large savings. We started struggling to pay the bills. I started struggling putting food on the table, making sure the rent was paid. You know, I picked up some odd jobs here and there, but it would just get us by. And I had put a lot of applications out there and had a lot of rejection at that time, so I felt worthless. The church is preaching about money again and tithing and everything else, and I kind of laughed it off in my mind several times, like, oh, you know, here we go, another, another money circle. As I was praying to God for guidance and, and other things, uh, he came to me and he said, John, do you trust me? And that's all he said, John, do you trust me? Following week after I was at the altar and God said, do you trust me? And I had $40, basically $40 cash in my pocket. And even though it was my last $40, and we had some change in our bank account. I felt led to give that. And when they turned around and said, hey, it's time to take the offering, everybody clapped and you know the ushers were passing the basket. I said, God, I trust you. And I, and I set that $40 in the basket. The tithe is untouchable. It's our, it's our contribution every single day to spread God's message to people throughout the world. Give what you can, you know, to start, and God's gonna bless you to where sooner or later, it's gonna be, you know, you're not even gonna look at the percentage that you're giving. I would rather put into the church than, I'm sorry, Chris, but pay $6 for a Starbucks coffee. You know what I mean? Isn't that a crazy story of ridiculous giving? I love my friend John. I, I, I love how God has just so enriched his life, increased his faith. And I want you to understand something. He's using an ordinary guy like my friend John to bless and change the world. And he'll use you as well. But it always starts, listen to this, with that first step of obedience. Uh, would you have the courage to just say yes to him today? Maybe you need to say yes with some of your time. Your time is so busy and you... You know, you're pressed here and pressed there, and yet you need to give some time to the Lord. Maybe you need to use some of those talents He's given you to edify and build up His kingdom. Um, perhaps you need to give some of those resources He's given you, some of your treasure. And I would challenge you, if you don't give, uh, man, start by giving something, right? Just give something. If you are giving something, man, work your way up to a biblical giver of 10%. And man, ask God to do something even greater in your heart beyond that. And I would ask that all of us would want to become supernatural givers. Why? Because it is so ridiculous. But it also is the heart of God. Because once again, how does God give to us? Extravagantly. How should we give back to Him? In like kind. And it's even ridiculous that He gives us the privilege to do that. Hey, until next time, God bless you.